we are in a, a series on hope right now. And uh, we didn't want it to just uh, be a hope series that's kind of pretending that everything is just okay. You know? Uh, I think sometimes uh, we can, as I said last week, uh, we can kind of pretend uh, that everything's fine because that's what we're told, is, it, like life's supposed to be that way. Um, and we don't want to pretend. We don't want to pretend that it's easy. Uh, we don't pretend that the stories and scriptures portray a God that, um, that, that never allows things to happen that are difficult in our lives, but that is present in the midst of them, as Heidi said and so uh, last week we spent a, a week, we felt like the, the first step towards hope was to lament. And particularly this season of our world and our lives was to begin by crying out to God. Begin by um, lifting up the things that we can't hold ourselves. Um, to admit that we are going through difficulties and trials and, and pains and, and suffering even at times. And that uh, to not move from there, to not just take an easy answer. Uh, but today I, I want to move us, I think what I believe is, is can be the next step. And sometimes these things are intertwined. They're not necessarily steps. That's probably a bad word to use. But they're just part of the process that we have in order to move towards hope. So I want to pray and, um, and then begin. God, we invite your Holy Spirit to be with us uh, right here in this moment. Uh, as Heidi emphasized, uh, we want you to take us deeper. We want to have a greater understanding of how you work and, um, and what you're doing in our lives. Uh, we want to feel your presence. We want to know uh, and just have this overwhelming sense of your love and faithfulness today. So God, would you uh, show up as you have so many times in our lives, even in this moment for people in this room. Would you lead us towards your way and your truth and your life? Amen. So I want you to imagine uh, right now that uh, you are uh, dating somebody. Like, go, if, you, if you're married, pretend that uh, it's, you know, however many years before you're, you were married. And I want you to imagine uh, dating somebody that had no memory. Like, no short-term memory, no long-term memory. So every day and every date that you had, uh, it would be like starting over again. There was a movie made about this. <laughs> it's not a good one. Uh, it's with Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. It's called 50 First Dates. And this guy, Adam Sandler, uh, he meets this girl and he finally finds someone that he, he wants to take the next step with. But every time they see each other, they're starting over again. Can you imagine like how hard it would be? Like you say, I, I, I like this person's personality. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm attracted to this individual. I, I'm very much, we're aligned in so many ways. And then the next time you saw them, they wouldn't remember who you are. They wouldn't remember your conversations. They wouldn't remember what you're like. I mean, there were maybe some good things about that, right? Like if you embarrassed yourself, uh, you know, if you spilled food on, you know, your shirt and looked kind of foolish at, at dinner, or if you said something that was offensive to that person, they wouldn't remember, right, <laughs> if you did those things. But isn't most of a relationship is, is building these shared memories, right? These, these things that you have in common, these, these stories that you have that unite you, that, that remind you of, uh, of uh, so that you actually know that individual well. I think about when you first start dating, you, you're asking the question, 
part of it is you're asking the question is, can I trust this person? Right? Can I trust them with my story? Can I trust them to be faithful? Can I trust them to do what they're going to say that they're going to do? And that takes shared experiences. That takes uh, uh, long talks. That takes uh, regular communication, right? When Sarah and I started dating, I did not have nearly the confidence that she was going to be faithful and true and, and stick with me when the, another uh, much better looking person came up or more fun person or more successful or more smart, I thought in the back of my mind, is this going to work out, right? <laughs> is she going to be on to the next person? But now we've been married for 15 years and I don't feel that way. There's this trust. There's this loyalty. There's this shared history that we have. There's a continued faithfulness that we've had throughout the years that has built upon itself to build a a level of trust that we have. And that happens because we can remember, because we have a memory, because we recall their faithfulness throughout the years. We recall those shared experiences. We recall who this person is and the character that they have. And so it's not surprising to me that in the scriptures, one of the things that God calls his people to do again and again and again and again is to remember. To remember what's happened in the past so that you know what God's going to do in your present and in your future. And there are so many examples of this. But I want to give you a few of things that people did uh, to remember God's faithfulness. Just three really quick examples. One, and I'm going to be short today because Heidi, I think, already gave you the best sermon that you could have. So I'm going to keep it quick. But um, if you remember in Genesis 28, Jacob has this dream. And in the dream, he, he wrestles essentially with God. And it's such a a powerful and significant experience with God that Jacob decides to to build a pillar in Bethel to commemorate this powerful vision and experience he had while sleeping there with God that shaped and, and dramatically shifted his entire life. He did not want to forget what God had given him, what God had done. And so Bethel, which means the house of God, then became an important place, a center of worship, a place that people could go and remember what God had done to their God had done for their ancestor, Jacob. Joshua 4, 1 through 8, if, if you know uh, your, your, your Bible, is a time where uh, Joshua leads the people of God across the Jordan River and into the promised land. God had been saying for years, even for an entire generation, that he, was going, that he had set them free from Egypt, he'd taken them into the wilderness, and that he was leading them to the promised land. And they had been wandering around for years and years and years. And finally, Joshua leads them across the Jordan, which God had made still, and into the promised land. So, so Joshua commands the people to grab 12 huge stones from the river to build this memorial to God's love and miraculous assistance. In chapter 4, verses 21 through 22, it, it explains this. This 
memorial is not simply for us to remember. It's not simply for us to recall what God has done, but it's for future generations. And every time you see this memorial, tell your children and their children what what the Lord has done for you. This is what he says in verse 21 and 22. Why, what do these stones mean? You can tell them, Joshua is saying to the people. This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Remembering makes a difference, doesn't it? In 1 Samuel, so if you're in the, the class uh, and have actually done your homework this week, you should have read through chapter 7, I think. In chapter 7 of 1 Samuel, the Israelites are facing an imminent attack from the Philistines. God leads them to victory. So Samuel erects a large stone and he says, this is named Ebenezer, means the stone of help. So you can imagine every time the people of God and their children and the ch- children after them walked by this pillar, walked by this stone. Their parents and their grandparents would say, that stone is named Ebenezer because God helped us. God led us to victory in battle. We remember the goodness of God. We remember God's provision in those moments. And there are so many others. In fact, all the, there's like three major feasts in Israel. And all of the feasts uh, are, are meant so that the people of God every single year would come together and they would celebrate God's faithfulness. So I think of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. If any of you have ever heard that one before, it celebrates Passover. And how if you had the blood of the lamb over your doorpost, God was going to bring you out of Egypt and out of slavery and eventually into the promised land. And that blood covered covered you and provided a way for you and liberated you from the oppressors around you. And so they eat unleavened bread because it's the bread of haste, right? Because you got to hurry up and leave, right? You don't have time to, to have a big meal. You have to eat the unleavened bread. And so you can imagine every year and the way that they celebrated and the way that they ate and the way that they came together, they would remember God's provision. They would celebrate God's uh, love and faithfulness to their people. So I think that the call for us, if we're going to move towards hope, is to do a much better job and to be a people that remember. Remember what God did for Israel Remember what what God did for the church. Remember what God has done in your own life. The writer of Hebrews speaks about one way that the church is called to remember and how they get to hope. In Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 23, it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart 
and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So next week, I'm going to spend a lot more time in this passage, and then there's a few verses after this that are going to conclude our series. But I want us to recognize what's happening here. I want you to remember the Old Testament is filled with prophecies and hope that one day there would be a Messiah that would come and redeem the world. And I want you to remember that the early Christians believed that Jesus was that Messiah. And that they believed that what Christ did on the cross and through the sprinkling of his blood gave them the boldness and the confidence and the ability to be in God's presence and that Jesus was now their high priest over their lives and over their church and that because of what Christ had done on the cross, they could draw near. That they could have full assurance of what faith brings. That they have been set free from guilt and shame. That they've been made pure. And in light of those things, that they can unswervingly hope. Because for he who promised he would do it is faithful. So every week, the reason we take communion, or one of the reasons we take communion, is because Jesus says, when he's explaining it, every time you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. I think communion is more than just remembering what Christ has done. I think that the real presence of Christ is in our midst when we take the bread and the cup. But Jesus is calling us to recall, to remember, to look back. And so the, the, the most significant thing that we as Christians can do and we can look back on, the thing that we can remember as like our pillar, as our stone of remembrance is the cross of Jesus Christ. Where we have been set free, where we have been forgiven, where we can... Be in God's presence with great confidence and full assurance of faith. So whatever is going on in our lives, no matter how difficult they are, no matter how trying they are, I think Jesus would call us to look to the cross. And there we will see the faithfulness of God. I think I've shared this with a few people, maybe even in the sermon over the last couple of years, but the last uh, four or five years have been very, um, I don't know how to, like disorienting for me in my faith. I think that I've just been so disappointed with, um, with so many people that I have inherited the faith from uh, in their what I would view as hypocrisy and even aligning themselves with, uh, you know, the kingdoms of this world instead of the kingdom of God. 
Um, and it has, it, it really, I think the word might be disorienting or discombobulating in a way. And there have been times when I have asked the question, uh, do I really believe this? If the faith that I have inherited comes from all these people that I view as being people that are, are not really living faithfully to Jesus, then is the message untrue? Can I really believe in something with these people that I have been so frustrated with how it's been lived out, with how it's been shown in our context and culture? And I'll be honest with you, people are walking away for those reasons from the faith. Such a disappointment in the church and in pastors and in our country in many ways. And why, the way that we have lived the last few years. But in those moments, and as I processed those things, what I did is I, I took myself out of just the context that I'm in right now and my disappointment. And the question I asked myself over and over again is, do I believe that this is true? Meaning, do I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave? That is the ultimate question. I know there's more questions. There's lots of questions. But that is the foundational question. Because if Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, if Jesus really was who he claimed to be, then all the disappointments from everyone else's or my own mistakes or my own problems or my own failures or own difficulties, you know, they, they, they can be worked through. Because Christ is king. Because Christ really did take away our sin. Because Christ really did resurrect from the dead and we have a new and living hope. And the second thing that kind of kept coming to my mind over and over again are my experiences with God in my own life. And what I mean is this, is I remembered. <laughs> I remembered uh, how God has worked. And it wasn't just one time at my conversion, though that was a significant moment for me, but it was dozens and dozens and dozens of times where I can remember the faithfulness of God in my life. The presence of God working. The real presence of God. like The love of God overwhelming me in moments of prayer and confession. And so I believe that remembering works. When we recall, when we consider, when we think about what God has done, not only in our own lives, but in, throughout history, we can see the movement of God and the faithfulness of God. And we can hold with this unswervingly to this hope because he who promised is faithful. I believe it. And so I want to invite you today uh, to remember. It's a simple thing. But I want you to take the next uh, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is for you in your life, and I want you to, as we sing, and as we take communion, uh, and as we pray, to recall the times of God's faithfulness in your own life, and in your family's life, and the generations before, to bring you to this place in your life, where you're at today. And uh, we even have <laughs> stones for you. So some of you may wonder why you have a rock underneath your chair. 
Uh, so if you want to grab that, you can grab it. Everyone grab your rock. And this is the thing. So today, this rock, and if you want a bigger one, there's some bigger ones under here. Don't throw them at me. Everyone asks if we're, I was a little nervous to bring out the rocks today, depending on who showed up, right? People, most people seem to like me okay, but I don't know. There are some people that have problems with me. I don't know. Um, maybe you're waiting till now. I don't know. Uh, so I, I, this may seem corny. Girl, Dean told me it's a little bit corny. Where's she? At? <laughs> All right. I don't care. We're doing it anyways. We're going for it. Uh, this is your Ebenezer. This is your stone of remembrance. And I would encourage you, I know it's uh, just a, a dumb rock, <laughs> but I would encourage you to put it on your nightstand uh, or in your bathroom or on your mantle, probably not your mantle, those of you that care about, you know, how your house looks, like what's the rock. But this is the thing. If you did put it on your mantle, or if you wanted a prettier rock, that'd be fine too. Put it on your mantle. And you know what will happen? Is you're going to walk by that rock. You're going to see that rock probably on a daily basis. And what it will do is it will trigger in your mind how you are to remember the goodness of God. No matter what's going on in your life, you'll remember what Christ has done. You'll remember those moments in time where you experience his presence and the love of God in your life. Second thing is I chose dirty rocks. And the reason I chose a dirty rock instead of the smooth and clean rocks is because I just don't think the smooth and clean rock is the right one, right? We just, like, we talked about all the hard things that have been going on in our lives. And if we had this, like, perfectly clean, beautiful rock, you'd probably just be like, yeah, it's a beautiful rock, right? But our lives are messy, and sometimes the faithfulness of God is unclear. Sometimes it's hard to remember. Sometimes it's just so overwhelming, the bad things that are happening in life and life's questions and our doubts, that we can kind of dismiss the clean rock because it's not true. But I think that this dirty and misformed uh, or deformed rock is a little bit better picture of what faith really is, of what remembering really is. It kind of leaves residue on your hands and on your pants. And our kids, my kids put them out and they had, you know, stuff all over them. But it reminds me of like the, the grit and the grime and the challenges of life. And so like Samuel, I want us today to consider uh, what our Ebenezer is. Where has God been a stone of help to you in your life? Where has God been faithful?